world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. So one of the things I like to do sometimes, uh, you, know, you know, not uh, not not every day, but occasionally, occasionally I like to uh, look at and see where does you know we have all these sayings and phrases and things that we use all the time in, in English um, and uh, colloquialisms and things like that, and other languages have them as well, and sometimes they're the uh, the same. I, I recently learned from uh, from our our audio guy over in uh, Bosnia, Mr. Amin Fikic, that uh, as smooth as a baby's bottom is uh, there's a there's a there's a version of that in in Bosnia, and I can't remember what it was exactly, but uh, but but so so sometimes they're the same. But um, in, in this case, uh, today I wanted to look up you know this uh, this saying, "lipstick on a pig," which um, you know doesn't require a lot. Ex- to explain what it means, I mean, it's pretty self-evident, but, um, and it became a big deal, of course, when, uh, when one of our, one of our former presidents, uh, used it <laughs> in a campaign to describe, uh, what was happening on the other side. But, um, but this lipstick on a pig, like, where did this start? And I found, so I have, I have scoured the interwebs far and wide and, uh, the, and oddly enough, the best, uh, the best article that I found on this was uh, in Slate, of all places. Uh, so this will probably be the only time you ever hear me uh, <laughs> reference anything in Slate. But I actually have a very, a very good article on this. And, uh, um, of course, they mentioned the whole that presidential uh, campaign when it, it uh, became... Uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, let's just say that the, the, the phrase lipstick on a pig rose to a level of national attention, but, uh, turns out, um, well, so the interesting thing here is that, uh, the phrase itself, like the actual phrase lipstick on a pig is actually relatively new that, that probably only dates back maybe to the 1980s, um, uh, but the notion of, uh, of, of, of working a pig or a hog into this type of a, uh, of a saying or comparison it actually goes way back. In fact, let's see, it says right here, um, uh, the incongruity of pigs and cosmetics. <laughs> that, might be, that might be the best opening to a sentence that I've ever read in my entire life. The incongruity of pigs and cosmetics was expressed as early as 1926 by the colorful editor... Charles F. Lummis, writing in the Los Angeles Times, and I quote, most of us know as much of history as a pig does of lipsticks. So there you go. That That's that's getting pretty close. He, he didn't quite say lipstick on a pig, but he did. He got the pig and the lipstick together in the same, uh, in the same phrase. And uh, oddly enough, from 1926 to today, we're almost 100 years later. And that sentence about how much most of us know about history probably is still, uh, it's probably worse now than it was then. But anyway, um, uh, so that was, and, but even before then, even, even, even we can go all the way back to, uh, let's see, the mid 16th century. So uh, for those of you who are not good at math, that would be the 1500s. And uh, they, they, there was a famous saying from back then that said, you can't make a silk purse from a sow's ear. Um, which undoubtedly is probably true, and uh, and then even in the 1700s we have we have somebody a, Brit- a British physician uh, who said uh, oh, oh in, in in something he wrote called a classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue. So this is what qualified as vulgar back then. A hog in armor is still but a hog. So this whole notion of uh, and there's a few other references here, but anyway, yeah. So if you're as fascinated by this as I am, you can go. You can. This is a, a September tenth, two thousand and eight, article of Slate that gives you an idea of how how it aligns to that particular presidential election. Anyway, uh, lipstick on a pig, probably that exact phrase, probably nineteen eighty five, uh, and a, uh, a San Francisco radio host was commenting on uh, the plans for renovating Candlestick Park, which is of course is the the uh, the baseball stadium where the Giants play, and uh, he said that would be like putting lipstick on a pig. But but the whole idea of throwing a pig into this sort of a conundrum has has evidently been around for. Um, 
centuries. So there you have it. Now, what got me off on this whole lipstick on a pig thing is that uh, is that my guest today, who has a, a fantastic story to tell, and that's why I didn't. That's that's why I decided to to talk about something completely off track because I don't want to take anything away from her story. But she does, she does, uh, and she doesn't. Um, if I remember correctly, now of course I'm, you know, this this intro always comes later, as you know. So I, she she didn't actually say lipstick on a pig, but she did mention lipstick, and she did mention a pig, and that got me off on this, uh, this whole uh, investigation into the origin. But anyway, the story today uh, that you're going to hear, which, by the way, uh, you're going to hear it right here on the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, uh, which is brought to you on the Oil & Gas Global Network. Uh, by the way, the Oil & Gas Global Network is the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry in the whole world, in the galaxy. In the, it doesn't matter how far you go. We're the biggest for the energy industry. And, uh, and this particular show, Oil & Gas Digital Doers, is made possible entirely by our very good friends at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE. Now, you've heard me talk about these guys before. So, uh, you know, and, and you're about to hear, you're about to hear from somebody uh, who actually comes from HPE and, uh, and has a fantastic story to tell. So I'm going to kind of shorten my usual spiel about how wonderful they are. You know, of course, that they are friends of the oil and gas industry and, uh, and that they're doing lots of things to help us. They've got some amazing technology. But the story today is about how they went through digital transformation kind of under their own roof in their own house and the person who is going to tell and, and, and this is a and this story and I knew it was a good story before we even recorded and before we chatted but but it was it was even better than I expected and the story comes to you today from none other than the chief information officer SVP uh, uh, so, so this is the person she's, she's in charge of the whole thing this was her deal and she's going to tell you the story about how HPE went through their own digital transformation so ladies and gentlemen please give a warm OGD and welcome to Rashmi Kumar And I am here with uh, Rashmi Kumar, as, as you just heard me say before that exciting musical interlude. But, but we're not actually here here. We're, we're in the remote configuration today. We're online because we couldn't be together in the same place. But we're still going to have a great conversation. So, Rashmi, thanks for making time. I know the schedule's been tough for you. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Uh, really excited to record this podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm good. It's always good to have a guest who's excited. So... Uh, um, so quick little, uh, I, I, the little bit that I know about you, uh, is, uh, I, I know you've been at, at HPE now for a few years, three, four years, something like that. You're the CIO, I, I think senior vice president and CIO leading all of that stuff. Um, I know also you got a lot of, you have kind of a broad experience before then you, you've worked in various other industries, I think pharma and management consulting and some other things. So, um, which is really great, uh, for this show, because even though this is about oil and gas digital doers, we've learned that we can learn from other industries. Um, and of course now, um, uh, you know, leading for, for a big tech company. So, um, so before we get into it, what else, uh, what else should people know about you? Yeah, I'm, I, why I say that I'm excited because oil and uh, natural gas is very close to me. I studied metallurgical engineering and worked in a steel company for the first seven years of my career. Um, so very close to manufacturing, very close to that reliability, safety, um, energy, that type of an um, environment. But yes, you were right. For the last 23 plus years, I have been in IT and served many different industries from utilities to entertainment to auto finance healthcare and now in a tech yeah company. that's um it's uh yeah the, the life of an it executive oftentimes uh takes you to all kinds of things that you maybe never expected right because you, you sort of you move around um all right, so so good, and and by the way, I should have mentioned. I mean, I think I think the audience knows this because they hear about me. They hear me talk about HPE Hewlett Packard Enterprise in every episode, and the reason why they hear me talk about HPE is because because you are the sponsor of the show. So um, and we love. I, so this is not. Uh, this is not uh, superfluous. We actually really love working with your team there. Um, and I always say this, that uh, that you guys are actually a friend to the oil and gas industry, which which counts for something these days. So so thanks for the sponsorship. 
And absolutely. Now with our headquarter moved to Houston, we are close to our customers in oil yes. and natural gas and that's, industry as well. That's, that's right. And I, I heard a rumor that there's some sort of a grand opening or something happening sometime soon or some sort of uh, new facility. I, I don't know. I, I don't know the details on that, but I heard that something exciting is happening. Yes. So we were in this amazing campus in uh, uh, Northwest Houston, which was original campus from uh, Compaq's founding days. Uh, though we had a couple of flooding and the company decided yeah. uh, under our new CEO to move to Springwood Village where I think the Exxon campus is, uh, as well as our uh, friends from HPI. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pressure for global real estate and IT team, but um, Antonio, our CEO, has put a date there that Feb 9th uh, board meeting is happening there. So the team yeah. is working tirelessly so. to get that building online. And uh, I'm very excited because um, I bought a place close to the office and happy to be in the spring area of Houston right yeah. now. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so that's great. Um, little, so I'm gonna, this is gonna be a bit of a dating myself thing, but uh, little, little known fact, in fact, I don't think I've mentioned this for a long time, but, but that uh, original Compaq campus, um, when I was about, uh, I wanna say 21, I had a job for a little while at that compact campus on the line assembling uh, PCs, and uh, and you know what decade that was, right? So yeah. <laughs> it was quite a long time ago. So I was on the on the night shift, you know, assembling uh, PCs. So I I know that area really well. Okay, great. Um, uh, assembling compact PCs back when it was compact. So let's the thing, the reason why we wanted to get you on uh, the show is. Um, because HPE, you have your own really good digital transformation story. So not only are you out there like helping other, like when I think about you, I think uh, as a as a as a tech company, you're out there helping other people succeed with these things. But you also did it yourself, um, which was no small feat because it's a very large company. And just because you're just because you're a tech company doesn't mean that you automatically are good at all. Of, you know, all those things come easily, right? It's still a lot of work. So let's talk about your um, and you led that. So. Um, so HPE uh, decides to undergo a digital transformation. What was the what's the background there? What was the kind of what were the driving factors? Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. And um, I myself always look into the drivers, look into the reasons, look into why we are where we are. And HPE, as a lot of you know, over the last couple of decades, went through major transformation every few years. Mm. Um, we talk about Compact, that acquisition was huge, um, services acquisition, and then a spinoff of the two large companies. But it was really visionary of our CEO, Antonio, to realize that a $110 billion company, we were sitting on that infrastructure post to split, and a $30 billion company will not be able to sustain and survive on um, that level of one legacy as well as lack of integration and the cost that it adds to the run. And that's where what we call his next gen IT program was born for him to leave his own legacy as a much simplified, much efficient, better customer experience company. Um, And uh, this transformation program was adopted, which is more, I call it digitalization of the core. Mm, If you look at digital, it's only not the e-commerce system which is in front of our customers, which is digital. It's everything that serves up to that front end needs to be also digital. Otherwise, I call it a lot of lipstick. That means very expensive on a very ugly pig. Sure. It's a, a big spaghetti of technologies and data transfer. So that was um, the initiation of this large transformation program. And on top of it, uh, his announcement two and a half years ago where he, uh, in our trade show Discover, announced that starting 2022, we will offer all our products as a service. Mm-hmm. And that's where we also begin really going from a physical product. We were a tech company, but we were selling boxes and, and access points for network right. to a digital product and subscription product where our customers who has, and more so in oil and gas industry, have a lot of edge workload, can still run it on-prem on their location as a, as a cloud. 
and not have to worry about management and maintenance of infrastructure. But it meant a lot of change in our own way of doing things, our operations, our technology footprint, bringing in capabilities like real-time consumption, service billing, uh, convergent charging. And we have been on that journey as well while doing this core transformation uh, for code to cash processes. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's huge. It, besides the, um, I mean, besides whatever sort of objectives were there, just in terms of the evolution after the split. And uh, by the way, I'm always I'm, I, I always make sure that I uh, that I tell people that HP is not the where you where you go down to buy the the laptops at Best Buy, right? Different yeah. different company now. Um, but besides that, going from uh, a physical product company to to as a service, I mean that I, I've known some other companies that have had to go through that. Um, some of them even actually were public and delisted during that time because of all of the impact that it has on your operations and your financials, and as you come through that trans that uh, transition. So that had to be. I mean, you, you you said that very sort of nicely and cleanly, but I know there's a lot of a lot of mess kind of underneath uh, the hood trying to go through that transformation. Yes, absolutely. It's a multi-pronged approach. We have uh, a transformation office run by our chief operating officer, who I also report to, uh, which is looking at every aspect. Right? It's not only internal; it's external also. We work with our customers, with our channels, then the sales team overall, and then the whole financial handling of it, and then the global operations piece, customer operations piece, every piece, every kind of piece of the engine of the whole company is working together to, to make this a reality. And we have seen some early wins around some of the products that we have announced. Mm -hmm. uh, the need for technology has gone up in um, last few years and amazingly accelerated during COVID time. Sure, and sure. when we can bring in these solutions where um, our customers don't have to increase the number of people to manage or maintain infrastructure, which is the core of the digital capabilities, but they want their expensive resources, SMEs, to be more busy reinventing their business model versus focusing on uh, how do I do compute or memory or storage of data? So yeah, we have yeah. seen um, a lot of demand in our customer and interest in engaging with us to understand uh, what kind of services we are we are launching. Definitely AIML as a service, um, the data crunching needs have gone up through the roof and a um, lot of success in that space as well. So um, so you're just kind of piling it on here because now what you, what we're saying is, you came through uh, the 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 corporate restructuring, and then so now you, and and then on top of that, you're going to change your business model, uh, your own business model, uh, from the um, uh, from more of the physical products to the as a service, which as I said has there's a whole. But anybody who hasn't ever done that, you can't imagine how how disruptive that is just to the internal systems and things like that. And then on top of that, um, your your uh, you got to give your customers. Uh, uh, like a whole kind of different view of what you're doing and how, and it changes pricing models and it changes how you engage and like what the expectations are. And so, um, and, and, and so, and on top of, so you wrap all those things together and you say, our digital transformation effort isn't just about like, we need to get up to speed with what all the cool kids are doing, or we need to be, we need to be doing digital, but you, you actually have this whole set of business objectives that are happening, whether you like, like, whether you do it as a digital digitalization or not, like these things are happening right there. They're, so, so that's a perfect case for um, like real digital transformation versus like the usual, like a, like a buzzword sort of we're doing it, but we don't really know what we're doing and things like that. Yeah. So you, you had the mission in front of you. The question is, now that now that we just described it like that, um, I, like more faint-hearted people would run away from that, right? <laughs> like that, like that. <laughs> like, I do question yeah. myself sometimes. Why am I doing this to myself? Because <laughs> the first thing I thought of was if that was me, I might be getting on a like a plane for for the Virgin Islands or something like that. <laughs> so so what? So 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 you stack all that up and you go, okay, well we need some sort of a plan for how do we tackle this. So where where'd you start? Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great question. So when we looked at digitalization of the core or the transformation of the core, we looked at everything globally. Um, this was my first truly global job and I've learned and grown so much through this um, transformation 
um, it's been a tremendous learning experience. So the, the, the objectives were first to take 11 ERP system, bring it into one ERP system. Mm-hmm. Second was to have... Wait, I'm a, sorry, you said 11? 11 ERP 11 systems? 11 ERP systems, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because any, anything worth having is worth having 11 times, right? Yes, <laughs> so, yes. Okay, yes. so that's, um, that's one little thing, right? Okay. Uh, yes. Having a single place or a store for all our customer master data, supplier master data, as well mm-hmm. as products... Right. Um, having no touch to low touch experience for our uh, partners and customers mm-hmm. because uh, there was a lot of manual touching involved between a quote and an order, right? We call it CPQ process, configure price quote, right, and right. making it a low touch to no touch. And then bringing everything together and having a strong data and analytics capability versus 200 of those across the company where <laughs> right. everybody comes together and does that. Right. You know, this, this last piece alone is a transformation effort for most of the companies sure. um, to sure. the point that you have said, right? right? Building a data analytics capability. So the way we did it is first we did our master data, uh, entity master data, which is for customer and master, customer and partners and suppliers. And then we did our global finance rollout. Um, this was start to finish, less than one year worth of work. Uh, we went live with global finance globally um, end of 2018, right, our close, right after close of our fiscal year in October. So went live in November 2018. And then in April 2019, we took order management, supply chain, logistics, all other complex pieces uh, to four uh, pilot countries in EMEA. And that yeah. was followed by almost 18 months of all of EMEA transitioning into the platform. So the biggest, the biggest challenge was how do you de-risk um, losing the customer or partner experience um, or not creating risk to the revenue? Because yeah, we, were, yeah. um, we, we were very diligent about that fact. And that's why, though we thought we were ready with a lot of our glo- global blueprint on, on SAP, we decided to be um, 100% sure that we, when we bring in a customer or a country online, uh, they are able to um, close or book their orders as they were doing in legacy or at least a little better because they were coming to a new platform. Yeah. And very happy to, re- to report that through the um, tireless work of my team, our business partners, our SI partners, we now have almost 83% of the revenue running through the system. And we have four more months left on the program, uh, which includes complex countries like in India, China, Japan, uh, Brazil to be done. We are almost done with testing. Can't wait for that day when <laughs> we yeah. go live with it. And it gave us a very standardized um, customer master data which we'll be leveraging for our as-a-service transformation as well, as-a-service transformation ran on top of it. And, you know, all, all, all other things <laughs> that companies did as large programs ran right. on top of this. Top, so Brexit, yeah. Brexit happened when we were doing this, right? Yeah. Um, uh, acquisitions happened while we were right, doing right, this, right? Yeah, so yeah. integrating those companies in um, as well as the new business model. It's been... Uh, an enormous amount of work, but if we did not do it in this focused manner, it'll take us at least double the time, which typically companies um, take to go through this. I'll just highlight one more point, which will be of interest to our speaker, is that we went almost greenfield and now not brownfield, right? Really? Okay. Yeah, Yeah. if you're collapsing 11 um, different SAP ECC systems into one, there is no way you can do (laughs) lift and shift or brownfield, right? Right. That's that's amazing. The the thing you mentioned at the beginning about putting the revenue at risk is always the scariest part. That's why I mentioned I know actually of a couple of companies that went private during one of these transfers because the numbers are, are not going to be pretty, right? Until and, so, and then they and then they went public again. So doing that is uh, heroic. Um, but uh, so everything that you just described makes very good sense. Uh, sounds daunting. Um, but how do, so when you when you get your, your you and your team and everything and you get organized around this effort, like how do you because something that a lot of companies struggle with is the whole thing seems so massive. And sometimes things that are even not as big as what you just described seem massive. And how do we get there from here? I'm sure that 
you know, this wasn't like this wasn't like Rashmi sitting in her office with her Microsoft project plan, like managing the whole entire thing, right? So, how do you get all the different parts, uh, you know, and people and the right kind of leadership and all that? What is how, how do you approach that? Yeah, so the the overall program structure and governance is extremely critical here because definitely um, it's extremely expensive to do something like this, right? And like almost 70% of the SAP programs don't see the end of the light, right? (laughs) Yeah. Some of them that started, some of them that that started uh, in the 90s are still going, I think. They're still, (laughs) the projects are still ongoing. So so the, the engagement with our, Um, business leaders as well as um, our customers and partners was important as well. So if you look at when I say business leaders, what does it mean? We did not start it as a business process improvement project. It did start as a overall transformation program, Mm -hmm. but we needed a business transformation leader who were able to bring different groups together. Because when I say 11 ERPs, we had three different SAP just for hardware orders across three regions of the world. And all three of them did their business in three different ways. And now they will have to do standardized uh, way. Having a, a business transformation leader as a partner with me as a technology transformation leader, right? And then having uh, what we call is executive committee very top down engaged with us um, in, uh, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Next to that, there was a team of uh, leaders across the company who we called operating committee. And, yeah. and followed by a sponsors team and then the program work streams. Yeah, and we we ran this almost like uh, science. Uh, there was right. a lot of art involved in it in terms sure. of consensus building and 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 uh, apprising people beforehand. But uh, there was a this is our CEO Antonio's um, legacy that he wants to leave sure. uh, for the company. He always says this: we should have done this 20 years ago, but yeah. I'm doing this now. So that level of top-down mandate in a program like this is extremely critical, as well as um, a lot of change management effort with our partners, keeping them appraised of where we are, as well as with our our employees. And definitely a strong SI leader uh, working closely with us as well. We we leveraged our partner Deloitte to help us through this. And, you know, they have gone through their own transitions uh, because of... COVID and whatnot, but um, they have been them and many other, right? I would say at least eight or 10 partner. One metrics I did not mention here was when we started before this transformation, we had 1,250 applications. As part of this transformation, our target is by end of 2023, we'll end up with less than 500 applications. That would be, yeah, that's quite, that's remarkable. Yes, yeah. and we have already retired close to 400 applications. <laughs> okay, so there's a whole bunch of good things to hit on in everything yeah. you just said there. Um, e- ending with dealing with all the people who are upset because you retired 400 applications. But but going back to the beginning, which is you mentioned the, the executive, uh, you talked about the operating committee and the different business partners, and, and the executive leadership was, was, was plugged in from the beginning, which of course that always comes up uh, whenever people talk about how to be successful in digital transformation. It, it, always you have to have the executive buy-in, you have to have the executive leadership, et cetera. Um, everybody knows that. The the um, now, now everybody knows that. Um, but the thing that kind of comes along with that that sometimes people don't think about is once. So once you have their buy-in and their direction, they now have expectations, right? And and managing those expectations upward and outward across the organization and all that as you go um, is, is a challenge. So how, how did? Because we all know that no projects go exactly the way they're planned, right? Yeah. So as you went through this, how do you like? What advice would you give people on how to manage the expectations and keep people bought in, even when you're hitting obstacles and you're stumbling and things like that? Yeah. See, um, very valid point, right? Because this project started like a typical program. It started with a set of scope, then. The scope and the approach changed um, a yeah. few months into that it. That never happens. <laughs> I know. And, and people rotated themselves to go fulfill those scopes, items, right? Yeah, that was, sure. And, and it was a tall order to do a technology transformation, but at the same time, completely change how you define um, your product or your, or your, uh, your capabilities in that 
still existing world, not for as a service. That's a separate yeah, conversation. Right, right. Then it really took uh, almost two and a half years ago, a, a very heart to heart sitting down with executive committee and say, mm. this change cannot be absorbed. We need to still keep it the way we do it um, in terms of hardware product and service product and services led product and attached service product. And then there, here are the set of scope that we need to reduce to bring it back to the original plan. Otherwise we'll be here forever, right? Yeah, so yeah. when 2019, July, we defined that scope and late part of 2019, we brought the team thousand people together for multiple face-to-face work stream type discussion yeah and 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 we defined that this is what we are going to deliver we had to manage very very closely to a maniacal level of focus to that scope that we defined in 2019 yeah yeah yeah, that i'll be able to deliver by this march and my message to them was you know we are still a couple of years away but the way you need to think about this program is as a platform for innovation there is definitely some pouring of concrete here, which will solidify the decision and we'll stuck with it maybe for next 20, 30 years. But let's make those decisions quickly and then follow it till we finish the program. I call it putting a bow on the program. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. we use it as an innovation platform and bring in all the wish list items um, over time as we evolve on, on the platform. As yeah, well. that, yeah, that's okay. So that's really good. Um, I think if I were to like like the like the nugget of wisdom <laughs> that mm-hmm. I got out of that is we all know that um, uh, projects like this always you know you, there's no way to know exactly what w- w- you make the best plan that you can at the beginning and then things happen you you, you come to, you have realizations you have and and historically what happens at least back in my experience with these types of projects you know big IT projects or process projects is once that happens once things start to be not the way you thought and it's and and you have to do something different or it's going to take longer or whatever usually what happens between the people carrying out the project and the stakeholders or the the executive sponsors is all all the like spinning and tap dancing starts, right? And everybody starts trying to like deflect from the fact that we're not doing what we said. And 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 what what you're saying is, I think, is um, like you can't do that with this type of a yeah. project. Everybody has to be open and transparent, and the, and all the stakeholders and the executive sponsors from the beginning have to understand that that this you know the, we're gonna we're gonna walk through this together and we're gonna learn some things and we're gonna have to make some decisions right and you have yeah. to be really honest all the way through the which is scary right that's not yep. the way things have been done in the past usually yeah two things I'll say right uh, one is when you do a program like this um, specifically in the ERP space it does not matter matter which ERP you're talking about. Right. It kind of takes your business users backward a little bit right. because what happens is post mainframe days when everybody did an ERP or a second version of it, organization like finance, order management, global operations, they build their own ways around uh, that core ERP platform. Mm-hmm. They have Excel spreadsheet, access, manual process. And you take away all that when you bring in a new platform. Right, right? all of that breaks, right. Breaks, so that's a a big change. And we as IT leaders cannot ignore that part part of the change that our business uh, users are going to go through. I think that's the most critical aspect of an ERP re-platforming program. And the second part is business leaders start thinking, this is my one opportunity to get all my capabilities into a new IT investment because we will not do something like this for another 10, 15, 20 years. Right? <laughs> That's true. That's, that is so true. That is so Well, the other thing that happens is sometimes, because you mentioned working with partners several times, um, and, and it is critical, and, we, and we've seen this over and over again with uh, various digital digitalization initiatives, people talk about how important it is to work with partners. But sometimes when you're doing something big like this, and I know this because uh, I spent a lot of years in my career in consulting, um, like the feeding frenzy starts, right? So everybody, so all the partners, uh, you know, everybody knows, hey, there's a big project going on here. Uh, There's a lot of funding. Everybody wants a piece of it. It, it, which they ought to, because they're also in business to try to. But but how do you like uh, it, what my experience was? Once like 
like the blood was in the water. <laughs> everybody, yeah. everybody wants to get in and get a piece of it. So how did how did you figure out like who which which partners do we work with? And I don't mean picking out. You mentioned Deloitte, but I just mean like yeah. what's the methodology for saying uh, okay, which are the ones that we that, that have the most value that we can trust, et cetera. Yeah, so the way uh, we look at it, if you look at end-to-end program management, um, some parts of the architecture as well as the functional capabilities uh, from an ERP or SAP perspective, and then just the ability to bring in major force number of people to a program like this, yeah. um, you, you, you do need some, somebody equivalent of De- Deloitte, right? Yeah, um, and right. But then one thing is very critical, which I had to come in and fix, is the architecture and technical decision making, right? Mm, right. Um, to you, and then scope. Mm-hmm. To, to your point, again, it's fair on SI and partners' behalf to want to do more and more, and that's when the scope gets out of control and it becomes right. non-manageable, right? right. Everybody so, has new ideas about what all else you could do, right? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. having a very, very strong process to freeze the scope and then manage change, from, change management from there uh, yeah. around it. Got the it. other piece we did and why we brought in other partners because S4 was one piece of it. If you look at my next-gen IT, it's an ecosystem of 60 different application out of which along with SAP, four or five systems were stood up in addition. So we brought in a company which was more experienced with our systems and most of the integration, thousands of integration of core SAP with other 60 applications were done by another partner. And then a couple of new systems that we created from scratch were built by uh, a third partner. So we wanted to keep a little bit of um, transparency, a little bit of uh, you know, risk aversion in our own approach of doing mm-hmm, something like mm-hmm. this, which was which was so huge, and that's where having this partner strategy played a big role for us. Yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's good. I can't. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's so many. <laughs> once you turn an initiative like that loose, um, like so everybody, it, there's going to be lots of ideas. There's going to be lot, which is good. Like everybody wants to do something good, but yeah, you have to have a uh, some sort of a process for for and and earlier you said something about what did you say like maniacal focus or something like yep. that yeah on the scope piece basically yeah yeah you have to do that so let, let's talk about because um, uh, when we were when we were chatting earlier you said something about like it's like like this part is done but it's really just the beginning what it, what is the and this is something that comes up too which is sometimes people ask okay if we go through all this digital transformation stuff. Can we really, is it just going to be like just getting new tech or can we really expect to have the, how do, how do we make sure we have the business benefits on the other side? So what is the, what does it look like going forward for you from, from this point? Yeah, so one, one thing I'll also add um, before I answer that question on the partner question is also we went best of breed on the technology. So S4 HANA, ah, we, yeah, yeah. we are okay. the largest implementation. Right. Uh, across all modules, running single instance, which was the whole selling point of HANA, right? That right, you right. don't need multiple instances, you can bring it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SnapLogic for our integration platform, using Kafka for all the right. PubSub type capabilities, our analytics platform, everything. We had to work with other part- technology partners, and I'm a technologist, so I like talking about it, yeah, yeah. Is, is also holding them accountable from performance and metrics uh, perspective. But right. now, now we have perfected it to a point that it serves the purpose that we have it for. We have built internal capabilities and processes around performance testing, release management, regression testing, so that we are able to churn out more releases through it. S4, S4 and SAP is... They are going out with partnerships with Hyperscaler and selling it as a RISE uh, solution to run completely on public cloud. But guess what? S4 is not a cloud-native application. It takes a ton of tuning um, to be done to be able to work with us. So what lies ahead from here is to make these things more efficient, right? Run in a more efficient manner. And then... As we go through this digital transformation, and now I have my entire code to cash process in one single platform, I have built a brand new data and analytics platform. I have customer master data, which gives me better insights into order, engagement, all kinds of things. 
how do I leverage my data analytics platform that I have built to drive more insights from uh, the information that I'm gathering from my, uh, from my operations today? And then the next piece for us, which is huge, is this whole as-a-service transformation. So if, again, going to physical to digital, right. we sold a box to a customer like me in a company and came back three years later talking about refresh or in between when their data needs grew and I need to sell more infrastructure. Right. Guess right, right. how it is going to work in as a service. I need to know every second, every minute, how my customer is consuming that infrastructure. Right, right. And the kind of data and analytics need that has, we call it um, know me from customer partner perspective, is very different. And the same platform that we built for um, analytics for uh, all our operational stuff, we'll be using that going forward as a transformation um, analytics stuff for um, these kinds of as-a-service insights and analytics as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a, and that part, by the way, is very analogous to what a lot of oil and gas companies are trying to do with their field operations. But um, uh, but you, you brought up a, you, you made a good point, which um, is, uh, so thanks for bringing me, stepping me back to the previous question. Um, the the which is the part about all this that says at the end of these various stages of having new stuff in place of the old stuff, the implication is that now we also have to have new processes and tools and skills and and even people in different roles to support to op, you know getting it deployed is one thing now we have to like operationalize it and we got to support it and we got to maintain it and, and operate it you know going forward um which can be there and, and a lot of times nobody's thinking about that except the it people who know that they're going to be stuck with it on the other side and we don't have what we need so i, I guess that that's a part that's a, that has to be part of the plan as you're going along right you have to be thinking about how yes. are we going to what 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 is our organization? What does our whole environment, our landscape need to look like in order for us to, to keep this healthy and growing and evolving on the other side? That, that's huge. Yeah, you, 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 kept, you cut the right concept here, right? Because when people think about ROI from something like this or the business case or why I need to do this transformation, they typically look at functional aspects of it and technical aspects of it at the very high level. But what I call is abilities, right? right Maintainability, right. availability. Yeah, yeah. Those things get missed in the, in the process. So when I came in first, um, I was not the CIO. I was the VP of S4 um, mm, okay. type role. And first thing I did is brought in these abilities, right? So if you look at a code to cash transaction, it starts, opportunity starts in Salesforce. It goes to my coding system. From there, it goes to SAP, from there to logistics, and we have a partner portal where they get their status. And there was no way to tie all this together. So bring in APM, application performance monitoring capabilities. Right, right. We were doing multiple releases, and we had no regression testing capability. I had to bring in <laughs> that capability. The performance <laughs> testing piece, because it was yeah. taking longer. You know, queries were not done well, and HANA has some inherent issues. So. And then the release management, because S4 is not cloud native. You cannot do blue-green deployment and do releases every day like Facebook or Amazon, right? We had to wait for those windows when we can go move code into the system. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of change going through the system at, at this point. And it's and all new stuff, right? So it's, it's not all the stuff. stuff that has been there forever that you, you have. You know, there's always, especially in the IT world, there's always people on the team who have been there since the beginning. They know how everything works. They can figure things out, right? Yeah. They can make sure that bad things don't happen. But now it's all yeah. So I love, I love the no regression testing. So <laughs> it, it always reminds me of, like, you know, the old joke about, like, when you're driving a car, uh, you're on a trip somewhere, and you go, well, we don't know where we are, but we're making good time. Right? Like, like we're, we're moving forward, but we have no idea if it's good or not. So, um, yeah, so that that is, uh, I, I've seen that where people are, um, you know, and people don't think about those things. But like I said, there's always a, those couple of IT people there who are like in the back, like waving their arms going, wait a second, wait a second. How, how what are we going to do with this after? Yeah. So No, so it's interesting because we are a technology company. So when I put these sound bites out, I see leaders in business clinging onto it and yeah, saying, yeah. yes, you got to do this. And look, I, 
I'm not kidding here. All this while having COVID, right? <laughs> while sure. having great sure. resignations. And I, I, I have built my team from 200 people to 1,000 people over the last 18 months. And wow. If, that, if so I that right there by itself is, 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 <laughs> is a project, right? It's a and, huge project. Right? And one large one, which I didn't tell you, was as part of this NGIT program, we are migrating our data centers as well. So we oh. built brand new Polo facility <laughs> Why over the last two and a half sure. years. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and migrating 600. So entire new landscape was built on the new data centers and uh, our Colo data centers, we call it HOH, it means HP on HP. Yeah. And then we are migrating um, uh, all other assets, almost 600 applications from our legacy data center into these um, Colo data centers as well. Yeah, that's uh, this is a phenomenal story. I think um, we will, um, I think it's encouraging for people to hear whatever whatever business you're in, to hear that this kind of a thing is doable. Um, I, I think also, I, and I will, you know, uh, si since you are the sponsor, I'll, I'll make the HPE plug that says, at least if I were looking for somebody to help me with one of these things, um, having somebody who went through, who has actually done it, right, at that level of complexity seems like a smart idea. But um, um, what else, is there anything, I, we're kind of getting to that time where I should, you know, I don't want people to change the channel. So what else, uh, I, didn't, I didn't warn you about this part, but uh, what, <laughs> any other, like, anything else, bits of wisdom or advice or anything else that you want to, uh, to leave folks with? Yeah, so I, I, I would just say this, right? End of the day, any such transformation, irrespective of what modern or old technology uh, we use, depends on the people that you have and how do you engage yeah. them in this yeah. transformation exercise. And the approach we took that it did not matter, you worked for a partner, you, worked, you, you were a customer, you were an employee or a contractor or a business leader or an IT leader, we were one team. That gave us a lot of um, courage um, and partnership and teamwork yeah. to go find these very difficult problems, but embark upon and say, we are going to solve this and move forward, right? Yeah. We, we ended up with problems which were unsolvable and what our technology providers were telling us to do would not have enabled us to achieve our end results. And my team members uh, with other partners were able to stand up and say, no, we are going to change it. We know what's going on here. We need to go figure it out. And we were able to figure yeah. it out and keep moving. So irrespective of the team um, members that you have or where they come from, bringing them together, binding them through this common purpose. And literally the second, third largest release we had, that day we went uh, virtual uh, on March 14th. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. I had 2,500 people globally working this release and we used to do a operation center in Bucharest, one in Bangalore and one in Houston. Right, all, right. all that became virtual and we were still able to successfully uh, do, the, do the release. And a lot of credit goes to the people who are passionate about seeing it happen. Uh, I joke sometimes, uh, not as much as some in my uh, organization, but more in our partners organization. It has made a lot of people leaders. It has gotten a lot of promotions yeah. and bigger roles in other companies. And, you know, I don't feel bad. I, I, my boss always says this, that we want to be talent maker and not talent taker. We want to use yeah. everybody at their highest potential. So I think a program of very big objective, uh, tall order like this, enables your team members to step up their game if you motivate them in the right way to right. do something like this. Gotcha. You got, no, that's really good. Um, I mean, really, it's like good old-fashioned leadership, right? Like, you ha like, like knowing how to get the right, have the right people in the right places, um, knowing how to, uh, to, to mo not only motivate people, I think sometimes leadership, you know, leadership uh, uh, training and stuff, uh, focuses a lot on motivating, but there's also this part about how to get people to feel like they're part of the team, they're, you're all in it together, like cultivating that kind of a, especially with 2,500 people, I can't even imagine. I mean, it's hard to do with 10 people. So doing that at that scale is, uh, is amazing. I think so, it's engage and empower, right? Motivate is a bit of a nebulous term in my Yeah, team. yeah. It's, it's how do you keep them engaged and empower them, show them what's in it for them to right. be able to continue growing in there. 
paths that, as well. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Well, good. Thank you. So, Rashmi Kumar, I really appreciate you um, um, making time. I know uh, your schedule is, uh, you're probably, you probably got things popping up right now telling you about whatever the next thing is you're supposed to be doing. So, uh, thanks for making time. And uh, maybe, maybe we'll get you back again sometime uh, next year and hear about how, how things are, how things are going and, and some of the, some of the future stuff that you are, uh, th- that you're expecting. It's always good to hear about how that stuff turns out, but, but, th- but thanks for being here. Absolutely. Really appreciate the opportunity to sponsor OGGN and be on the podcast today. Well, there you have it. Rashmi Kumar leading the way in what sounds like a spectacular digital transformation for our very good friends over there at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. By the way, I have it um, on good... uh, Good. What, what's the, what do you say? I have it on good account. I have it on. Anyway, people tell me, people on the inside at HPE tell me that it's really true. That uh, the, 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 <laughs> it's, it's fantastic now that they've gone through all of these things and it really improved the company. And uh, so, so this stuff works. Uh, as they say, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a cleanup because this is a family show. But anyway, you get what I'm saying now. Uh, I do. So I want to thank HPE again for sponsoring the show. We, and, and they do a lot of other stuff with them and we love those guys. Uh, also, uh, let's see what a couple other things I got to mention. Uh, well, it is the kickoff to a new year. In fact, you should be, this should be the, the episode that you are hearing in the very first week of January, 2022. So, uh, so happy new year and, uh, and keep an eye on what we're doing over here at OGGN. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn and all, you know, all the usual places because we got some great plans this year. There's some new stuff that's going to be happening. And, uh, and even, and even the, the stuff that's not the new stuff, the regular stuff, you know, all of our hosts that are putting out these episodes every week, uh, they're all working hard to come up with great guests and good topics. And so, uh, so go to, go to OGGN.com. You can see all the different podcasts we have there, or you can just go to, if you're an Apple podcast, listener just go to the OGGN channel and you'll see everything but but check it out and uh, and you know do like listen and give us some feedback and uh, do some ratings and, and a review even if you have time to put fingers to keys for just a few seconds would be fantastic um, I'll tell you reviews and we all know that that listeners don't pay a whole lot of attention to reviews because why should I read the review I can just push play and in the first 15 seconds I'm going to decide if I like it or not but you know who the reviews really help it really helps the hosts and it encourages them and it lets them know that you're out there and you like what they're doing so uh, so do that do that for us this year and uh, we're going to continue to, to create some uh, some great programs and and uh, explore all the topics that you are interested that is going to wrap it up for today Many thanks to all of you for listening and to the whole team at OGGN, who is uh, doing a fantastic job, especially my audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who's going to make this sound fantastic. And in about five seconds, you are going to hear Mel say, come back next week. And so that is what you should do, because this is where you can always come when you want to hear stories about real people who are getting digital done. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. Hold up. 